Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Once Upon a Nightmare. I am your host Lorraine and I am here to discuss the horrors of the world, be it fictional or real. This week I am going real as I will discuss the mass murderer Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. Jr., known as Butch, was born on the 26th of September 1951 in Brooklyn, New York. He was the eldest son of five to parents Ronald Sr. and Louise DeFeo. His siblings were Dawn, Alison, Mark and John Matthew. At only 24 years old, Butch would murder his entire family on the 13th of November 1974, shooting them one by one with a 35 caliber Marlin 336C rifle at the family home at 112 Ocean Avenue. Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. was convicted of six counts of second-degree murder on November 25, 1975, and is currently serving six consecutive life sentences at the Greenhaven Correctional Facility in Beekman, New York. Ronald Sr. and Louise decided to move to the idyllic sleepy village of Amityville in the town of Babylon, Suffolk County in New York. The town adopted the name in 1846 at a village meeting after feeling like a change was needed from Huntington's southwest neck. It was quite the thriving village. 1867 saw a rail service introduced, a bank in 1891, a library in 1907, and it also became a popular tourist summer spot. It was also a spot to famous people such as Al Capone and Buffalo Bill, but unfortunately this village would now always be known for the DeFeo murders and of course the hauntings of the Amityville house and the Lutz family. The DeFeos moved to Amityville in hope of finding a new home for their ever-growing family. Louise on expecting her fifth child decided their current home was too small and a new house was in order. The house they would buy was a beautiful Dutch colonial style home that had a pool and a boathouse that was situated on the canal. The home is very memorable with its quarter moon eyes, the eyes of the homes if you will, windows that have since been synonymous with the Amityville horror movies. While the home was a new start for the family, it wasn't necessarily the new one that everyone would assume. Ronald Sr. placed a sign in his garden, High Hopes. They had a home that suggested one thing, but was really about something else. This was a house of fear and would eventually be a house of death. Ronald Sr. was a very controlling man, with Butch getting the brunt of it. His father was not only abusive in a verbal manner, but he was also quite physical. He would often attack Butch. But like most children, they grow up and Butch became quite the presence and therefore was able to fight back. After witnessing how Butch fought back, his father became concerned. Butch even once beat up his younger sister, Dawn. Ronald Sr. saw a different style of temper in Butch, a temper that scared him, a temper that sent him to a psychiatrist. Butch, of course, went but didn't take it seriously. And apparently, the psychiatrist did tell the DeFeos that one day their son would kill them. Ronald Sr., at a loss of what to do, decided that lavishing his son with expensive gifts and money might calm him down. He even got him a speedboat at 14. This, of course, again, did not work. He would ask for money whenever he wanted it, but also cocky enough to just take it when he wanted, if it was laying around the house. 
It would appear Butch had no shame and what he wanted he was going to take. His behaviour would then take another destructive turn as he began taking hard drugs such as heroin. He began excessive drinking and also stealing. He had all the money he wanted so one can only assume that the stealing was another way to act out. It wouldn't be long until Butch would be out of the school system when he left at 17. On the day he left he was presented with a car from his father. When he turned 18 he then went to work at his father's car dealership. Although saying he worked that was quite misleading. He rarely showed up and when he was there he wasn't exactly employee of the month. Despite his lack of worth ethic he still would get paid. Butch would soon meet a woman at a bar on a night out, Geraldine. The couple would soon become pregnant and had a daughter, Stephanie. Once she was born, Butch and Geraldine were to marry on October 17th, 1974 in New Jersey. There was a lot of controversy over his marriage as to whether it actually happened. They did marry for what would be classed as a second time in 1989, but again they divorced. But Geraldine does have pictures and documents to prove that she was in fact married to him for the first time in 1974. After the murders, Geraldine became protected by high-level figures in organised crime so that she would not be accused of being an accomplice. There was a theory from police that Butch had help with keeping the younger children quiet while he killed his parents. It has been said that Geraldine was around in 1974 as people that were very close to the DeFeas have said they've known her. Geraldine has told her story, but on condition that she received no money and no fame. Unfortunately, Butch becoming a father did not help with his behaviour. If anything, his moods would become even more terrifying. One night in his family home, he heard his mother and father fighting, I believe a physical fight. Butch would grab a 12-gauge shotgun and point it at his father and tell him to leave his mother alone. You would think that the warning of a gun was all Butch was planning on doing, but Butch would actually pull the trigger to a very shocked Ronald Sr., but for some reason, the gun did not go off. After this incident, Ronald Sr. then turned to God. He became a very devout Catholic. There were shrines all over the house and he would often be seen praying on his front lawn while holding rosemary beads. This latest incident and the lack of expression over Butch's face really did terrify Ronald Sr. Before the murders, there was another argument between father and son as Butch would steal from his father's business. He felt he deserved more for all the work he was not doing, so he pretended he had been robbed upon taking cash from the business to the bank. It soon became clear to all involved and the police that Butch had made the whole story up. He had in fact split the money between him and a friend. The argument was the last straw as he yelled to his father, I'll kill you, and kill him he did but he also took his mother and his younger siblings with them. The strange thing about all this and what we hear about Butch and his father, in watching a documentary on Amazon Prime called Serial Killers, um, Butch discusses how his father was always there to bail him out, how they argued, but it was made to seem worse than it actually was. He talks about how close he was to his siblings and to his mother. They were a close family, he says. He says how this just happened, but he doesn't seem to have any remorse about what went on. It was almost more... It is what it is. Around 6pm on November 13th, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. burst into a local tavern known as Henry's Bar and shouted, You've got to help me. I think my father and mother have been shot. A good friend of DeFeo's was in the bar at the time. This was out-of-work brickmason Robert Bobby Kelsk. DeFeo was hysterical as he explained to his friends that his parents had been shot. Bobby asked could they just be sleeping, to which DeFeo replied, No, I saw them up there. Butch, wanting to go back to the home, requested the assistance of others within the bar to help. This was his friend Bobby, 
also John Altieri, Joey Yeswat, Al Saxton and William Scordamagia, the owner of the bar. All the men followed DeFeo out of the bar. Bobby took the wheel of DeFeo's 1970 blue Buick Electra 225 and drove with speed to the DeFeo home. As the men reached the home, all of the men except Bobby erred on the side of caution. He just went inside. There was no sound except that of the family sheepdog, Shaggy. Shaggy was not house trained, so was regularly tied up as he was on this occasion. The rest of the men did finally enter the home as they all rushed to the master bedroom to check on the status of Ronnie's parents. Bobby has frequented the DeFeo home on many occasions and knew exactly where the master bedroom was. As the stench of death wafted through the home, they came across body after body. In the master bedroom, they found Ronald DeFeo Sr., 43, with a bullet wound to his back. They then saw Louise DeFeo, 42, who was cuddled up in an orange blanket hiding any wounds she had, but she was also dead. One of the men, John Altieri, went to look for life in the northeast bedroom and unfortunately found the bodies of two young boys laying face down on the bed. This was John DeFeo, who was only nine and 12-year-old Mark. They also found 13-year-old Alison on this floor and then 18-year-old Dawn on the third floor. The Suffolk County Police would soon arrive and began to question Bush and see did he have any indication of who would have committed these murders. He at first blamed it on the Mafia, stating there was bad blood between his father and the mob over work done on the car dealership. He said the name Louis Fellini, who was a hitman. What adds insult to injury after the murders? Butch just went on about his day. He went off to work and pretended he wanted an early start and he couldn't sleep. And he believed his family were simply sleeping when he left. He knew this all day. Believing Butch may be in danger, after all, they had killed his entire family. It only made sense that he could be a possible target. The police put Butch in protective custody while they hunted for suspects. As the police began the investigation, it soon became clear that Butch may have been more involved than they previously thought. All the victims were still in their beds and pyjamas. If they had been murdered during the day whilst Butch was out, this probably wouldn't have been the case. They would have been up and dressed. It was obvious that they had been murdered early in the morning, meaning Butch was at home when the murders occurred. Like anyone caught in a lie, you begin to do damage control. Butch started changing how things had happened. He said he was dragged around the house as the murders happened, but he soon caved and admitted it. He stating, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Detective Dennis Rafferty discusses that they were told by Butch about how the murders occurred. It soon came out that he went into his parents' bedroom first and shot them both in the back. He then went to his sister's Allison bedroom before moving on to his younger brother's room. After shooting his brothers, he saw that one was still twitching in the foot. They asked him was anyone awake. His sister Dawn was awoken by the noise and asked him what had happened. He said it was fine and then proceeded to follow her and then shot her in the back. Butch then goes on about how his sister Dawn tried to get the rifle. After a fight, Butch got the rifle back and shot her. At one point, though, he did try and blame his sister Dawn for all this, saying it was her and two other accomplices. I went in there to scare him. I didn't go in there to kill him. What had happened was Dawn said something smart. I said, if you want to get rid of mommy and daddy, I said, I'll go get you a gun. I said, in fact, I'll get you a shotgun. How was that? And I went in the room, and I grabbed your gun. So I said, here you go. What do you want me to do with that? I said, it's all ready to go. Just pull a hammer back and squeeze the trigger. The bullet in the chamber. It's all ready to go. So she said something smart. You know, and me and her start arguing. I said, listen, this ain't getting us anywhere. What do you want to do? 
So I said, come on, come on. I'll show you how to handle this like an idiot. I went downstairs. And everybody was sleeping except her and me. His door was like three quarters closed. I went in there and I said, hey, fat man, fat man, get up. And he started to get up. I'll never forget that. I got scared. My sister looked at me. She says, do it, do it. I said, do it. I said, yeah, you do it. You know, I mean, we had a split second. He was getting up. I said, do it. I said, yeah, you do it. So then when I seen his body getting ready to make the move, I just pulled the trigger. After I pulled the trigger, I hit the lever, shot him again. My mother yelled, oh, my God, Ronnie. Now, my mother went with a hand. My mother went with a hand towards the side of a bed. My mother had a 38 revolver. My mother went for that. I said, oh. My sister looked at me. I said, are you happy now? Are you happy now? I said to her, she looked at me. She said, oh, oh my God, look what you did. I said, look what I did. I said, this was your idea, not mine. I said, look what I did. I said, mommy got shot on top of it. I left the house and I told my sister, I'll be back. Don't do nothing. Let me see what we're going to do. There's things that got to be done, but I got to get out of here because I can't deal with this. Leave everything alone. That's what I told her. I left the house. Butch will go on trial on October 14, 1975, just over a year after the murders. The case attracted attention not only because in this sleepy, quiet town, a young man had murdered his entire family, but also no one had heard a sound. No one had heard the screaming. No one had heard the gunshots. Butch did not use a silencer. And while the house was quite big, it wasn't that big that you wouldn't hear a gun going off if you were next door. So standard with quite a few murderers, Butch would, of course, aim for the insanity plea. Honourable Thomas M. Stark, Justice of Supreme Court, spoke of how it was quite an interesting trial due to the insanity defence and also how Butch had no control over his his emotions. Stark goes on to say that Butch does mention how he heard a dog barking but not the shots of the gun. And this kind of blew his story apart as the jury found it hard to believe that he could hear the dogs but not the shots. This ruined the whole insanity defence. We then see Butch talking as he discusses how he had no control. He was out of touch with reality. He did admit he killed them, but he claims he did it before they killed him. Butch believed he heard his family plotting to murder him. And then we have the other theory. And this is the whole possession story. The story that the house was built on an old ancient Indian burial ground and a chief Indian was angry. And this is where Professor Hans Holzer comes into play. He is a parapsychologist. He believes Butch was possessed by an angry Indian chief because the house should not have been built. Holzer was brought on on the case to prove possession took place. He did research on the house and during the turn of the century in the 1900s, he discovered that during a rainstorm, part of a skeleton of an Indian chief had been exposed and a young boy took the skull and played football with it. Apparently, this is when all the trouble started. As Holzer describes what Butch did, he discusses how calm he was. One of the questions is how did no one hear? Why, after the parents were shot, did nobody hear other gunshots? Butch himself has said that his sister did come down asking what the commotion was. The police assumed that the family were drugged, but of course no drugs were found in the systems. 
The dogs did, of course, bark, and Hoser goes on to say that the dogs can pick up on things that people cannot. Hoser believes that the Indian chief created an electric magnetic field that bolted out sound. There was no sound anywhere, and that is why no one has heard any gunshots. No one to this day has an answer to why nothing could ever be heard. Hoser states that why he knows Butch pulled the trigger, he doesn't believe it was him. Something was going on in that house. The jury thought otherwise. Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. is still incarcerated. He is now 69 years old. Like I said, I loved him. I'm sorry for what happened. I, I, you know, I did it. But I, I don't really feel what I did was wrong. I really don't. Huh? Because I do know in my mind and my heart it was just a matter of time before he killed me. Just a matter of time. And the more I sit here and talk about it, the more I think about it, I know it ain't right, but in my heart it is. In my mind it's wrong, but in my heart it's right. I don't think that's too hard for anybody to understand. Paul Butch did admit killing his entire family back in the 70s. He has since come out around the age of 55 saying that he was not responsible for murdering his entire family. He has said that he killed his mother, his father and his sister Dawn and she was responsible for killing the other three. He has also come out and said that his father was very abusive and did beat him on a regular basis whereas in a previous documentary he has said that was all blown out of proportion. So that is my take on the DeFeo murders. What do you think? Do you think he was possessed? Do you think it's just a boy who murdered his family? Do you believe in the Amityville horror, which is actually what I'm going to talk about in my next episode? Let me know what you think. But now on to my podcast promotion. For my podcast recommendation, I want to suggest you check out a few bad apples. Catherine gives us insight into the bad apples of the police force and some good ones, but I'll let her tell you for herself. Fact, over 700 people have been killed by the hands of the police just this year alone. I'm Catherine Sheffield, host of the weekly podcast, A Few Bad Apples. Each week, I unravel true stories of victims whose lives have been affected by bad apple officers of the law. I bring this relevant conversation into the public spotlight because it's a way to provoke change and reform. Not all officers are bad, and in fact, I highlight a positive story at the end of every episode to balance the spectrum. A Few Bad Apples is available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow her on all the social medias, have a listen to the podcast and rate and review. When I first discovered it, there were a few episodes available, so I had a bit of a binge. I actually do listen to this podcast quite a lot and I can highly recommend it. Anyway, I'd like to say thank you for listening and don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. And I really do appreciate all the feedback. I've had some really nice comments, which are so nice to hear. And I just want to thank everyone who's promoted and liked and shared and retweeted. Um, I really do appreciate it. And if you keep on doing that, that would be really nice. But if you want even more, you can find me on Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare Podcast on Twitter as a Nightmare Pod, on Letterboxd as a Nightmare Pod, and uh, email me as onceuponanightmarepod at gmail.com, and I'm also on WordPress and Facebook as Once Upon a Nightmare. And I'd like to say thank you for listening, and I will chat to you again very, very soon, and keep a listen out for my next episode, which will be on the movie, The Amityville Horror, and the story of the Lutz family. Thank you, bye. <laughs>